ಅಸೀತಗಿರಿ ಸಜ್ವಲ ಸಿಂಧುಪಾತ್ರಿ ಸುರತರುವರ ಶಾಖಾ ಲೇಖನೀ ಪತ್ರಮೂರ್ವಿ ಲಿಖಿತಯದಿ ಗೃಹತ್ವಾರದಾಸಕಾಲಪಿ ತವ ಗುಣ ಈಶಪಾರಿ ಸ್ಲೋಕ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಶಿವ ಮಹಿಮ್ನ ಸ್ತೋತ್ರ which means perhaps sticking the mountain as the ink the ocean as the pot the branch of the heavenly tree the kalpatur as the pen and earth as the leaf the entire earth as the leaf or the paper and even if the goddess of learning the saraswati goes on writing for ever on the page on the page of the earth surface if the entire earth surface is the page on which saraswati is writing with the ink which is as big the ink is as big as the mountain and the ink pot is as large as the ocean and the branch of the heavenly tree the kalpatur is the pen if he goes if she goes on writing forever even then o lord the your glories you cannot find an end to it there's no limitation to it it is ineffable so that's the wonderful sloka in the shiva mahimna stotra uh, which we will find has some context in today's kalpadarud day celebration so as you all know that this kalpadaru day is an annual re- religious festival it is observed by the monks and the lay devotees of the ramakrishna mission as well as the worldwide vedanta societies the vedanta centers they also celebrate observe this kalpataru day which happens to be on the 1st january every year now the context of the kalpataru day the master had to move to calcutta ramkrishna had to move to calcutta for the treatment of his throat cancer as you all know in the last phase of his life in the 1885 he passed away in 1886 uh from the early months of 1885 the s- symptoms of the cancer was detected and now for the treatment he had to be shifted to shyampukur first it was a small house in the month of august 1885 he was shifted there uh because it's in those days it was in the uh, in the uh pradingst of calcutta it was within the uh, boundaries of calcutta and so the doctors and the medical treatment was quite accessible from there from dakshineshwar it was becoming quite difficult so that's why first they shifted to shyampukur in august 1885 and sri ramakrishna stayed there just for 3 months as uh, the place was very small and sri ramakrishna was habituated in staying in dakshineshwar this spacious garden house so it was quite suffocating for him stifling for him to stay in that house a small house at shampukur so after 3 months the devotees decided to shift him to some spacious place and they found the garden house at kashipur where he was shifted after 3 months almost 3 months and there we find the last phase of the sri ramakrishna's divine drama has been enacted as he used to say very wonderfully whenever anyone is to ask him that sir how are you feeling he was suffering from throat cancer the cancer in those days had no treatment it became almost so lacerous uh, almost uh, the throat uh, the, the cancer's injury was visible from the outside it just was so uh, advanced it created terrible pain he couldn't eat properly so nothing would go inside his throat in those days there was there was no scope for the nasal feeding so half of the food most of the food will just be thrown out 
So he used to say that I'm so hungry as if I feel like eating pitchers of rice. That hunger was always there. But at the same time, in a very wonderful thing, whenever someone is to ask him, sir, how are you? You find a wonderful reply he's giving. That shorir tar dukkha jane, mon tumi anande thako. The body knows its suffering, or mind dwell in bliss. That's a wonderful uh, remark which reflects Ramakrishna's mental condition. That externally he was physically suffering, but his mon- mind was always associated with the divine. It was always dwelling in the divine. That's what he used to say. He himself has to used to give the example that what's the condition of a realized soul like? It's just like the ripened coconut, he used to say. You know, when the coconut is unripe, it's green, uh, you can never separate the kernel from the shell. It's all intertwined. How to find out whether the coconut has got ripened? We just have to shake it. You will find that the kernel has got separated from the shell. It makes noise. So Ramakrishna used to say that a realized soul is like that. The body has, the mind has got separated. He feels the separation of his real existence of the essence of his being from the psychophysical existence. It is just like the ripened coconut where the shell has got separated from the kernel. And that's why he was always witnessing the suffering which was palpably visible in the physical plane was actually not felt by Ramakrishna. We find that's why to see a person always in bliss, even in that situation, we find the devotees are thronging. They were attracted to see that yes, in this life, we can transcend suffering. We can not get rid of suffering, but we can transcend suffering. The ways of life goes on as it is. The, you may sometimes have the trough, sometimes you may go to the peak, the rise and fall will be there, the flow is there, it can never be all bliss as per our external circumstances concerned. But there is a state where we can transcend that. The life flows on, we are no more in the stream, we are outside the stream, watching the stream, witnessing the stream, we are no more in the stream. And that's the wonderful thing which was palpably visible in Ramakrishna in this last phase of his divine play. And we find that this 1st January 1886, that's the day he was feeling a bit better. And for many days, he was totally bedridden. He could, we couldn't, uh, the devotees never thought that he could come out of his bed. But that's the day because of some homeopathic medicine uh, that started acting well for two weeks in the last week of December, in the last two weeks of December, he was feeling quite uh, good. The Lycopodium 300 was uh, prescribed for him and it really worked for a short time. And the devotees had the feeling that most probably he would recover. And that's the time we find that 1st January 1886, he was feeling quite well so he came down to the garden of the Kashipur to have a little stroll. He was just strolling around. And it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. And that day, as you know, the first January is a holiday. So the devotees, whenever it was a holiday, they used to assemble. They used to all come and meet, uh, meet Sri Ramakrishna. And they used to have a wonderful satsang there with all the devotees. And that day, being a holiday, about 30 lay disciples were in the hall sitting or they were moving around, loitering. They were under the trees. And that's when Ramakrishna came down. So all were a bit surprised to see Ramakrishna coming down because he was very sick, almost bedridden, to see him coming down. So all were happy. They were elated. And now Sri Ramakrishna, when he came down, he met First, this Girish Chandra Ghosh, the one whom Sri Ramakrishna used to say had 125% faith. His faith was so strong, 125% faith. And 
Sri Ramakrishna, we find, is asking him a question. What's the question? Uh, well, Girish, what have you seen in me that you proclaim that you that proclaim me to be an avatar, to be the divine incarnation? What have you seen in me? So that was what uh, Sri Ramakrishna is asking, and we find that Girish Ghosh, he was a person not to be taken by surprise. He was having, uh, you know, that that wonderful presence of mind, a very intelligent person, as has been spoken of of Hanuman, Vuddhimatam Varishta. He's intelligent among the intelligent. That Hanuman's devotion was like that. We find the Girish's devotion is also like that. Along with the devotion, he has a wonderful presence of mind. The moment Ramakrishna asks that question, what a wonderful, appropriate answer he's giving. So he knelt down in front of the master and with folded hands, what he replied was very significant. That what can an insignificant person like me say about the one whose glory even the sages like Vyasa and Valmiki can never fathom, can never measure. Now what actually he's saying is very wonderful. Now Vyasa wrote Mahabharata and the Bhagavatam. Mahabharata to a certain extent depicts the life of Krishna, which again we find has been uh, written in a much elaborate way. Not only elaborate way, the uh, real purpose of Sri Krishna's uh, incarnation. In the Mahabharata, it is just the external purpose we find is being manifested, is being described. Bhagavata speaks of that real purpose. It is not just to uh, establish religion by getting rid of the wicked and protecting the uh, virtuous. That's the external part. The real part, the real uh, significance of avatars coming down is to have a wonderful this divine play with the devotees. So there we find that the in Bhagavatam, the Gopi Leela has been described very elaborately. And that's where we find the fulfillment of divine incarnation. Just to show the world that uh, nowadays we say that in medical science, what we say that it's all sick psychology. What's the sick psychology? That only when we have psychological problem, we go to the psychologist and from minus, he brings us to zero. That's the cure. But what about when we are by default having a normal psychology, a normal psyche? Why not think of from taking from zero to something positive? Why we have to wait to go to something sick condition? So that's the sick psychology. The real psychology is this, that you try to have some positive uh, faculties in your psyche. So that will improve the quality of your life. So. The treatment doesn't mean only removing of the weeds. It also means sowing of the seeds. So if Mahabharata speaks of removing the weeds, Bhagavata speaks of sowing the seeds. But in this life, as a human being, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that khali pete dharma hoina, yes, there is a need for the basic sustenance. But after that, as a human being, we can never remain satisfied just by our food and clothing and shelter. When those meet, needs are met, then the big question of life comes. What's the purpose of life? As a human being, how we can find uh, the happiness in life, the bliss in life? And that speaks of nurturing the faculty of devotion, of spirituality. And the Bhagavata actually describes that. And in spite of the fact that, that in Bhagavata is a very, very enriched scripture, describing the divine play of Krishna. But still Vyasa, we find felt that you can never really describe the glories of the divine. So that's why Grish is saying that the, even Vyasa couldn't adequately measure the depth of Krishna after writing such an elaborate life, divine play of Krishna. The same thing Valmiki did. He wrote the Ramayana, but does Ramayana really uh, can fathom the depth of Rama? No. 
So even this Valmi, the great sages like Valmiki, Vyasa, they couldn't fathom the depth of the divine avatar. How humbly Girish is saying that with full faith, I have the full faith that you are the God incarnate, but I'm an insignificant person. Even Vyasa and Valmiki, they couldn't describe your, this glory. How can I describe? So this is a very, very, very significant uh, reply Girish gave. And when Girish spoke this word, immediately the master was profoundly moved. He went into this bhava samadhi. And then he's coming down from that state. And what he's saying is very significant. That what more shall I say? I bless you all. Be thou illumined. Tomader choitan nohok. And then when he spoke these words, we find that he fell into a very wonderful spiritual mood and hearing these words, the devotees who were all around, they were overwhelmed with emotion. So they rushed to him and fell at his feet. They touched his feet and they received all the appropriate benediction. It's as per their spiritual temperament, they found that suddenly there is uh, the opening up of the channel, which has enabled them to go to the realization which befits their temperament. And each of them we find at the touch of the master is starts experiencing ineffable bliss in their own way. Some started laughing, some were weeping. It was appearing as if it is a mad house. Some were laughing, some were weeping, some sat down to meditate and they've never experienced that deep meditation. Just many had the visions of their chosen ideal. Many felt within their bodies the rush of spiritual power. So these varied experiences and the way they were behaving, that as per their ishta, as per their chosen ideal, as per their spiritual life, which they were striving hard to reach that goal, suddenly they found that all the blockages has been removed. And that's what the power of the divine is. That's why Narendranath used to say, the future Vivekananda, that you know what's the power of Ramakrishna? Maybe the other avatars have shown miracles, but that actually was in the domain of the physical plane. Ramakrishna, he had a tremendous power. What power? He would take the mind of the devotees just like clay and he will just give them the form as he wished. He had that power just to change the total, uh, what you say, the uh, your mind, the tendencies of the mind. He could change it. And that was a wonderful power of Ramakrishna. It's not that only on that special day it was experienced. As a singular event, it was experienced by many. Even... Uh, Narendranath, uh, Rakhal Maharaj, many have experienced. But this is the day when all, when as a whole, Ramakrishna suddenly has opened up uh, his uh, divine treasure and he's just distributing to all the devotees. In the last days, very often he used to say that before departing, that I will, that before departing, I will I just, uh, what you say that he used to say that I will make the whole thing public. I will make the whole thing public. In Bengali, that's the word. It's very difficult to translate in English. The idea is that I will make the whole thing public. And that's what we find has happened on the 1st January, 1886. And all the devotees we find, they forgot time and space. They were in ineffable bliss. And very interesting, they took a resolution that they will not touch the master. Because they have previously experienced that Ramakrishna's body was so pure. If with an impure mind, anyone touched him, he would experience terrible pain. If he's in Samadhi, his Samadhi is to break. So he was very sensitive to touch. And that is indicated in our scripture. They used to say, you know that how the sensitive a spiritual person is, 
They say that if a sand particle falls on your skin, you may not realize that a sand particle has fallen. It never irritates you. But the same sand particle, if it falls on your eyes, immediately you will find that irritation. So that's the example which the scriptures give. And we find in the life of Ramakrishna, that sensitive he was. A little touch of impurity will, be find, will find expression in the form of physical pain. So they took a resolution. Now he's already in pains because of his disease. We shouldn't touch him. And they all forgot that Ramakrishna when opened up the channel, they were so overwhelmed. They forgot their previous determination not to touch him that till he recovers. They had the immediate feeling and that sympathizing with their misery and heart overflowing with compassion that God himself has incarnated. They felt that he's full of compassion, unbound compassion is incarnated. It's also a type of crucifixion. He's giving away his life for the sake of the suffering, the devotees, the, all the entire world which is suffering to show them the way out. He's giving away his life just by bit by bit. And that's what the devotees felt that day. And it was just the opening up of all the divine treasure which Ramakrishna had before departing for the mankind. So what actually when our Girish himself told that Ramakrishna when he, you know, when, when he was, uh, when he was uh, spoken, when he was uh, told by Ramakrishna be illumined, immediately he shouted that Ramakrishna has become Kalpatar and all came running. Now, what actually is meant by the word Kalpataru? Is it an appropriate word? In a way, it is not appropriate. Why? The Kalpataru means, in, it's in, it's a, in the Puranas, uh, there is a mention of the Kalpataru tree. It's a wish-fulfilling tree. Now, in, that, uh, in the Puranas, what is mentioned is something very interesting. That a person... A traveler was traveling and he was so tired that he thought of taking a rest under the shade of a tree. So he just uh, reclined himself uh, under the shade of the tree and suddenly he felt that he was terribly hungry. So he was thinking of food. He was hungry, he was thirsty and suddenly from nowhere all celestial food was in, in his, in, just in his presence. So he was amazed how it happened. Now he never knew actually that he by chance have taken shelter under the Kalpataru tree. That's the Kalpataru tree. Now food came, he took food. And after that, as he was tired, he thought that if I could sleep, have a nice sleep, immediately a wonderful bed came, very soft, comfortable bed. He was really amazed, surprised. He reclined on the bed and was thinking that my legs are aching if someone could massage. And then he found that some celestial beings came to massage his feet. He felt asleep. When he woke up, he was totally refreshed. And now the thought came, whatever I'm thinking is happening. Now, if a lion comes and immediately a lion came, thronged on him and just devoured him. That's the story of the Kalpataru. So whatever your thoughts are, that is going to materialize once you are near it or under the shade of it. So in that sense, Ramakrishna can never be Kalpataru. Because we may have so we, have, we do have so many desires which may not be good for us. There's very wonderful lines of Rabindranath Tagore. Ami bohu bashonai pran ponechai bunchita kore bachale more. There are so many desires I want so endearingly. So, so with so earnest, with tremendous earnestness, I want that desires be fulfilled. When I look at the like life from the rest from retrospect, I look at it, then I find that Lord has actually saved me by not allowing me to fulfill those desires. We find that when from retrospect, that's the lines of Rabindranath Tagore. So in that sense, Ramakrishna can never be Kalpataru. It's only the things which are desirable. That's the thing we will find 
is being fulfilled. We will find, we will just come to that discussion also. It's not just whatever you wish that is going to, whatever you desire, Ramakrishna is just there to fulfill. He is just like the benevolent mother who knows what is good for the child. His mother is not there just to pamper the child. The mother knows very well what's good, what's not good. And that way we will find that it's only the things which leads us to the spiritual realization. That's what Ramakrishna is delivering. So now when he told that be illumined, when he told be illumined, what actually he meant? Now in Bengali, he told the word Chaitanuhok, be illumined, Chaitana, to be aware, awareness. We will find that to understand this word Chaitanuhok, that we can refer to Ramakrishna's another statement. He used to say that the word Manush means Man plus Hush is Manush. He never studied in school, so he had the privilege to break the word in his own way, which no grammar for which doesn't follow any grammar, but it actually signifies something wonderful. Man plus Hush is Manush, he used to say. What actually it means? That we as a human being have certain uniqueness, certain man. Man means value. As a human being, we have certain values which no other creature has. The no other creature has. And hush means awareness. Are we aware of those values? If we are not aware of those values, there is very little difference between us and any other creature. Our uniqueness is because of those values. What's those values? Again, in the simple words of Ramakrishna, Manushi Akmatra Prani Je Ishwar Chinta Kotte Pare. Just very simple words. That human beings are the only creature who can think of God, contemplate of God, can relate to another dimension of our existence, which no other creature can do. And that's the man, the value, the uniqueness of the human being. That's what Ramakrishna is saying. So as a human being, are we aware of that value, of that mana? If we are, then we are manush. Otherwise, we may look like a human being. We are not human. We are very little. Uh, we have very little difference from any other creature. Those who are just begetting, having food, begetting children, and then dying. If that's, let's say, if that's our life, then what's the difference between us and the creatures? So Ramakrishna used to say that is the man plus who's, as the human being who is aware of the values. They alone are manus. They alone can be called as humans. So by saying that be illumined, he's actually indicating to that fact that realize the potential, the divine potential which is hidden within you. As a human being, unless you have realized that, the human life is not worth living. So that's what we find Ramakrishna is indicating. Now, the question comes that if we have the desires, other desires, is it not going to be fulfilled? Actually, that huge crowd which today we will find is going to Kashipur, where Ramakrishna became Kalpataru, that last phase of divine drama which he enacted in Kashipur. About 100,000 people will be there. And if you take interview, what you will find apparently as if they have some desires which they think if they pray will be fulfilled. But is it the real cause for that huge crowd? The real cause we feel is not that. The real cause is actually Ramakrishna's empathy for the humankind. If you see his life, a wonderful thing. Once he realized in his own life, the spiritual dimension of our existence. He immediately was feeling compassion for the entire humanity. As he used to say, Holy Mother, that see the people of Calcutta are just roaming about like worms, not knowing that what tremendous potential they have. They're just roaming like worms. You have to take care of them. What was the need for Ramakrishna to just 
and give that responsibility to holy mother it's just that empathy after the realization we find he's not just simply absorbed in his own spiritual uh, realization he just cannot wait he's every day going to the top of the mother kali's temple and shouting at the top of the voice that mother has told me many devotees will come many will come to get to be aware of that another dimension of existence i am there to show the way but they are not coming so we find that he's so restless going to the roof of the kali temple and shouting that where are you that when niranjan who later became swami niranjan and as a young boy is a very pure soul he used to come ramakrishna will just embrace him and cry that niranjan would you allow your life to go in west won't you realize god so this is the thing it's just like you have suddenly realized a treasure and now you find that the others though they have the treasure are not aware of it and now you become so restless to make them realize the treasure which is at your hand ramakrishna himself is telling the story of three friends the three friends were walking down the street and suddenly they saw a wall by the side of the street it was a very big wall so they were curious to know what's there on what's there on the other side of the wall they managed to get a ladder they placed the ladder on the wall and one of them climbed up the other two were waiting to hear from the third friend the one who climbed up that what's there on the other side the moment this first friend climbed to the top of the wall he was ecstatic the thing which he saw on the other side made him so ecstatic the other two friends were shouting what's that you see please relate but he was so overwhelmed with what, the bliss which he saw on the other side he even couldn't wait to relate to the friends what he saw he simply jumped to the other side now the other two friends were curious so the second one also climbed up the third told you must now say before jumping that what's there on the other side now he also meet the same fate he's so full of bliss so ecstatic he cannot stop himself resist himself from jumping he also cannot relate and he jumps now the third friend who is now the last one he climbs up he also feels like jumping to the other side the divine mirth that of joy he sees there no suffering now he also feels like jumping but then that unbounded compassion that is evoked he thinks if i jump there won't be anyone to relate to the world what's there on the other side of the world so he restrains himself you will find in the life of ramakrishna that we find it so difficult to concentrate our mind it is like the monkey mind always jumping and ramakrishna's mind from that one thought is going again and again to the nirvikalpa samadhi he can easily merge in that remain in that blissful state but with all trivial desires he is bringing his mind down in the gospel you will find again and again he is saying when he is going to samadhi suddenly he speaks out i want to drink water i want to go for the nature's call all these trivial things he is saying sometimes when he comes down someone gives water he is not drinking why he is to say with that small desire he is bringing down his mind what was the purpose the one whose natural state is bliss why he is bringing down the tremendous unbound love for us whether we understand it or not it is that love which attracts us just the small child who is do have doesn't know the language cannot speak to the mother just the mother's feeling is something which is instinctively felt the child is drawn to the mother it knows very well that the mother loves the child the tremendous love is flowing ramakrishna is the like that mother this empathy there was no reason there was no selfish reason for him to just instruct humanity no selfish reason he could easily remain in bliss just because of that unbound compassion he's coming down that's why is avatar the one who comes down avatarana is avatar he comes down because of that unbound compassion 
for the humankind to show them the way out. And that's the real significance of the Kalpataru day. Still, we feel that tremendous urge to relate to Ramakrishna because of his love. It's not our love for him. It is his love for the humankind that draws us. And that's why we find the crowd is increasing. Ramakrishna himself used to say a wonderful thing. One day he was sitting by the, uh, by the bank of the Ganges. He was sitting by the bank of the Ganges and one steamer was passing from the uh, mid of the Ganges. It was just in the front of them. You know, the, the Ramakrishna and his devotees were sitting and the steamer was just in front of them passing down the Ganges from the mid of the Ganges. After the steamer went a quite a long distance, it was quite far away. Suddenly Ramakrishna saw that the water is splashing waves, the waves after waves of water are coming and splashing on the bank. Ramakrishna, the master of examples, the master of analogy, immediately gives a wonderful analogy. He says, see, when the steamer was just in front of us, we could never realize that a turmoil has been created. A turmoil has been created. We could never realize. See, now the steamer is far away. Now we realize the splash. On the day of Kalpataru, the real day, the historical day, there were only 30 people. And now it is, previously we saw it was 30,000, 50,000, now even 100,000 people. They have now this, the more his life goes far away, the more we find the splash, the more we realize the tremendous value it has in our day-to-day -day life. That simple, so-called simple life is not that simple. It has a very poignant message. And with that message, there's a tremendous compassion. And that's the thing which is drawing us, pulling us. And it will go on dragging the humanity. In the words of Swami Vivekananda, it will go on working till the humanity understands that it is one with God. In the Swami Vivekananda used to say that I, it, I may find it necessary to give up my body, this physical body, but I won't stop working. I will, in the spiritual domain, I will go on working till the humanity knows that it is one with God. How nicely Swami Vivekananda is saying, these personalities, these all persons are not different person. They're three in one. Is Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, Holy Mother. They're three in one. One in three, three in one. So they are the one who are there, still there, know it for certain. If we call on them, know it for certain. Ramakrishna used to say a very interesting thing that you don't have to shout uh, to express your prayers. Just go on praying silently. God has very sensitive ear. Ramakrishna was very poetic. He used to say that God can even hear the, and what you say that the, the anklets uh, in the ant's leg, uh, the anklets tied in the ant's leg, God can even hear that. That's the poetic way Ramakrishna used to say. So he's so sensitive. Pray to him. He is there. Know it for certain. He is there. He's still there. He, when the day he passed away, the next day, Holy Mother was about to remove the bangles. As, as is the custom, the widows removed the, all the bangles. Ramakrishna said, came in his vision, in her vision and told that, why are you removing the bangles? Do you think I have, uh, that I have, I'm gone? It is just from going from one room to the other. Ramakrishna is there. He is there and he's with a sensitive ear, know it for certain, is hearing to our prayers. And that's why we say, celebrate this day. Now, if we have worldly desires, isn't it fulfilled? Yes, it will be fulfilled. But know it for certain, Ramakrishna has his own way. It's not just the way we feel. I will just, uh, today before coming to the uh, conclusion of this discussion, we'll give that example. Uh, we will just relate an incident on that day that we find most of the devotees were asking for spiritual illumination. But there was one devotee. He was very poor. Upendranath Mukhopadhyay. He had the desire for money. 
So when he found that everyone is going and whatever they are asking for immediately, it was palpably visible that their desires had been fulfilled. They were in ecstasy, but he never had the any urge for spiritual visions. He was always aspiring for money. He was extremely poor, and he told he went and told frankly, "I want money." He was blessed. He was blessed, but we find a wonderful thing. He did become rich. but he used his wealth in charity and service that's the thing means ramakrishna's life was to preach mankind their wonderful philosophy of shiva gyane jiva seva that the lord if the lord has become the world if god has become the world ishavasyam itham sarvam with which the ishopanishad starts if the the god is pervading the entire universe in each and everything if he is then why not serve him through his creation shiva gyane jiva seva in each and every being the essence of each and every being is divine so don't see him as a man see him is as a god and serve then what happens spirituality becomes a 24 by 7 affair it no more remains just some few rituals before your breakfast Ramakrishna jokingly used to say our spirituality is till breakfast in the morning we wake up have a nice shower have some separate uh, set of clothes for our worship we wear that go to a particular section of our house which we have indicated as a shrine and offer some incense offer some flowers so have some and just repeat some chants meditate we feel wonderful we come we change our clothes now we are in office clothes sit for our breakfast now i am a different man there is as if a watertight compartment between the spiritual life and the secular life ramakrishna came to break that by this wonderful philosophy of shiva gyana jiva seva and that way in all your activities the divinity the spirituality can permeate then nothing remains secular everything becomes spiritual and then abhudaya and nishraya sir this too can be synthesized abhudaya means your personal prosperity in the material world that can be synthesized synergized with your ultimate aim of life the spiritual liberation nishraya sir and that we find that ramakrishna is kalpataru in his own way it's not just that he allowed upendranath to uh, that to become rich and be obsessed by money we find that he has changed his mind in such a way he is using his wealth in charity and service he has a great role to play in the ramakrishna movement you know swami vivekananda translated the imitation of christ in bengali it was he who published serially in the in a magazine called gyanankur the blossom of knowledge he this upendra kishore uh, this upendranath uh, in uh, in his later life he became quite rich he had his own press and in his press we find the swami vivekananda's translation of imitation of christ he is the one to publish he is the one when swami ji returned from the west now to make the people aware of swami vivekananda's return so that they can just come and give a huge reception so pamphlets has to be distributed and he printed freely thousands of pamphlets handbills published it in his newspaper he used to publish a newspaper basumati in that he published so the swami ji's homecoming was made that that it was became such a huge uh, affair it was it is it is a, it is a, one of the landmarks in swami vivekananda's life history that his return you find this wonderful inspiring lectures but for that that the huge public which has to be called in it was to a great uh, extent upendranath's uh, role is there we find to play he played in the february 1897 when swami ji replied returned from the west upendranath is printing and distributing freely the pamphlets the handbills he in those days he printed the cheap edi- edition of mahabharata of kali prasanna sinha it, it was a very cheap edition and not only that we find that all the scriptures of sankhya philosophy of yoga vedanta upanishads gita all those scriptures he is actually translating it in bengali regional language and he is publishing 
Just see how with the press, he has actually propagated the spiritual message. Not only that, he used to serve the monks. Latu Maharaj used to stay in his press for days together. Not only that, many, many were there who were, his door were always open for the monks. And he used to serve them as if uh, he's one of their family member. So we find that Upendranath, though he wanted wealth, he's using the wealth in charity and service. And that's how nothing remains space is secular for him in a wonderful way that in Bengali, Holy Mother used to say, Ramakrishna also used to say a wonderful thing. The jar ache mapo, jar ne jopo. Both the ways can take you to the spiritual illumination. Jar ache mapo. The one who has wealth, distribute it. Mapo means how much you are distributing. With, with that, you can almost calculate your spiritual, uh, the cleansing of the mind. Jar ache, by giving away your wealth for a good purpose, you cleanse your mind. That results in chitta shuddhi. Jar ne jopo. The one who doesn't have, let him recourse to the repetition of the name of the Lord. Both are same way effective. And we find Upendranath with all his wealth is actually following that message only. And we find they all are at last, when as the life is, pass, is passing, as they're growing old, more and more the spiritual dimension is unfolding. Even in Upendranath's life, we find a very humble soul, highly spiritually illumined, with full devotion for Ramakrishna. So these are uh, the persons which demonstrates that even if you have a very worldly desire, Ramakrishna knows how to use it as a lollipop to take you to the ultimately to the spiritual realization. He will use it as a lollipop, just a way to tempt the child to do something good. You use the lollipop. He is also using our material desire as a lollipop to take us to the spiritual evolution through Abhyudaya to Nistrayasa. And that's why this Kalpataru day has, has such a significant role to play in our, uh, this, uh, in our life, especially the first January is such a day where we take resolutions. And when that resolution we take, keeping Ramakrishna in our mind, that just by praying to him, oh God, I, as an ordinary human being, don't have the power to really stick to my resolutions. It's you who have to help me. Know it for certain. He is there who has come down so that we can move up holding unto him. He's there to help us. And that's his role. He can totally change the course of our life if we are really, if we really resign to him. In the, I will just uh, end today's discussion with the words of Swami Vivekananda. When Swami Vivekananda returned from the West, he was with his uh, Brahmacharins in, of Belurmat, those who have joined the order, being inspired by Swami Vivekananda. One day he was taking uh, a class, a scriptural class the, uh, with the Brahmacharis. He was there in Belurmat. And suddenly he asked, do you know who is Avatar? Now the Brahmacharis were quiet. And then Swami Vivekananda, the one who is always resorting to reason, rationality, his lectures are just a marvelous intellectual piece. That Swami Vivekananda, we find that inwardly is his soul, that full of devotion, that self, that resignation is there. What a nice reply he's himself giving to his own question. Avatar is the one who is Kapala Mochana, who can change the lines written on your forehead. They say that the lines of our forehead actually are the scripts of our destiny. Your destiny is written there. So he used to say he's a kapal mochan. He can change them. As Holy Mother used to say that even he can take away your prarabdha. Very nicely Holy Mother used to say if it is as per the prarabdha, you are supposed to be killed by, a, by a, some sharp weapon. Take uh, resort to the God's name, surrender to him, is suddenly a, a, you may just end up with the piercing of a needle. Instead of being killed by that <coughs> sharp weapon, just a small needle will pierce you. So even you can get rid of Prarabdha. So that's the thing uh, which actually uh, is uh, 
meant for uh, uh, to be celebrated on this Kalpataru day. It is significant that way. Let us have that full faith that Ramakrishna is there to listen to our prayers, to listen to our the, the inner wishes. We generally in front of the society try to pose ourselves as uh, a particular desired character. But in front of Ramakrishna, we need not worry. We can simply open up just our heart shamelessly, whatever is your desire, you ask without thinking the pros and cons of it, without thinking whether God is going to get angry, he's never going to get angry. He knows how to mold those desires and he will take you in such a way that instead of destroying you with the help of those desires, gradually we'll find you or desires are getting, getting sublimated. You need not have to uh, subjugate them. You need not have to uh, forcefully stop them. They will be sublimated in a wonderful way. Ramakrishna knows how to do that. And he will be carrying you to that divine illumination. So that's why this Kalpataru day is so significant to us. It's not only the first January. It's on this day, we uh, try to remember the uh, divine role Ramakrishna had to play. But it is there for us every day of our life. Let each and every day for us become a Kalpataru day by enabling us to be aware of the tremendous spiritual implication that Ramakrishna's life has on our life. That's why we celebrate this day. So with this awareness, hope praying for this awareness, I would like to, I would just stop today's discussion here. So let us be all illumined as Ramakrishna told so that we can all fulfill the purpose of human life and become spiritually illumined without trying to force ourselves to uh, that spiritual path. Let it happen spontaneously, naturally, by the grace of Ramakrishna. With these prayers, I will just stop our discussion today. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Sri Ramakrishna Panamastu. Pranam Maharaj. Pranam Swamiji. Pranam Swamiji.